This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to episode 36. Before we get started with this week's episode, I only have one announcement that I just want to remind you guys that we have a Facebook group, and that Facebook group is where you can interact with other listeners, other military dads, other veteran dads, ask questions about fatherhood, ask questions about marriage, ask a question about something you're struggling, or just if you're looking for a friend, that's often the best thing that, and what most veterans need is we just need that friend to know that someone's listening. I'm happy to be that ear, and there's other dads in there that are happy to be that ear as well. And I look forward to seeing you over there. And without further ado, let's get started with Eric Riddemeyer. Today on the show, we have Eric Rittmeyer. He is a former U.S. Marine and expert in the fields of mental toughness and emotional intelligence. He's been a professional speaker for the past decade and is a regular guest on television outlets, including Fox, NBC, and ABC. He speaks to audiences all over the country, teaching executive and sales professionals on how to overcome the limits brought on by fear and emotion and replace them with clear, concise, critical thinking that gets results. Rick, welcome to the show tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. Great to be here. Go ahead and describe what your frame looks like right now and any gaps at intro you want to add for us. You pretty much hit it on the head. I mean, that's, um, I, I speak to lots of audiences. My main topic is uh, mental toughness. It's all about emotional control. So my, I have a program where I mainly work with sales teams. I call it psychological performance training. And uh, it's really all about emotional control. You know, we're not, we have no education on how to control our emotions. So we go through school, we memorize, we regurgitate, we're forced out into the real world and, and nobody teaches us how to handle an emotion. And um, unfortunately, when you when you get emotional, you start to you start to fall apart. So you know, emotion and logic are inversely related. I'm all about trying to control the emotion and, and trying to teach people when to use it and how to use it. I like that. What What about your family? Yeah, so I have two daughters, uh, two teenage daughters. Um, I have full physical legal custody of my children. So obviously, single father handling two teenage daughters requires quite a bit of mental toughness. Something that's on the job training. But um, yeah, so I, I I try to keep a lot of my mental toughness stuff out of them. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get too hardcore on them. You know, when I'm on a stage training people, I, I kind of beat them over the head with it. I try not to do that at home, but, um, they, they know my stance on this and they know where I, they know where I am with, uh, with how to not get upset about certain things and how to channel the energy is what I call it. I like that. When did you, did you have kids while you were serving as, in the Marines? No, I did not actually. I, I, I think like a lot of, I, I think like the majority of people, I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. And um, shipped out. I had no idea what I was going to do. I definitely did not want to go to school. I knew that. I did not like school at all. So um, actually, I signed up when I was 17. And my mom had to sign for me. She did not like that. She begged me to join the Army. 
which I did not want to do. So, um, yeah, I drove out of high school, did four years out of high school. Then right after I got out, me personally, I didn't, I, I felt like I wanted to wait until I got out to have kids because I knew it was so demanding and I wanted to give my, you know, get the Marine Corps my hundred percent all. So I waited until after I got out right after, within a couple of years after getting out, I got married and then, um, a couple of years later had children. So I waited till afterwards. I like that. I feel like I'm talking to my doppelganger because I was in the same <laughs> case because like I went in right after high school and I was sent to Okinawa and I just had this feeling like I didn't want to start my family yet. And I wasn't in a place where I was wanting to date. And, uh, for me, when I got out, I had this pressure to catch up because when I got out of 2007 and by that time, if you were 22 and not married, you were behind. And I just felt this overwhelming pressure to catch up. And now looking back, I wish I would have slowed down a little bit, but it's funny you say Okinawa. So I spent the year there as well. And I think, you know, I think Marine Corps 101 is you either spend, because obviously that's kind of the, not the downside of the Marine Corps, but you pretty much have East Coast, like Camp Lejeune, West Coast, Camp Pendleton, or overseas Okinawa, Japan. They're kind of your options. So I think like a lot of, a lot of Marines, you do your first year overseas or your last year overseas. Uh, sounds like you did your first year. Mine was my last year. So by that point, I was pretty much ready to, I mean, you know, to this day, I was. I was pressed. I had spit shine boots my, you know, till the day I got out, but it was my time to go. And you know what they say, you can take the Marine out of the Corps, can't take the Corps out of the Marine. So it's a part of who I am, just like you, just like all of us that have to be the Marine Corps can be any branch. I think you kind of carry that military stuff with you. But um, yeah, I did my last year overseas as well. And that was kind of my wake up call to be like, yeah, it's time for me to time for me to go back home. I asked for Lejeune and I was part of, and I got Okinawa and I was part of the, <laughs> I was the very first, uh, group of Marines deployed to Okinawa that were required to have mandatory two-year deployments. Oh, they got tired of cycling through all the time. And so then after two years, I ended up saying for the third year after that and just did all three years over there. And those three years, I absolutely loved them and I don't regret them because they taught me experiences of international culture and going to Korea, the Philippines, Australia. There's just so much of the world to, to see and we just don't get that perspective a lot as Americans. So I'm, I was super grateful for having that because now my curiosity is very strong when it comes to international travel and wanting to explore later in life with my kids. Yeah, and you, and you look at that, you look at that too, and that's what's so crazy to think about because you think like as as kids, which we were at that point. I mean, I, I look at my oldest daughter now; she's seventeen, and I think to myself like I look at her every day, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I was her age when I was signing and raising my right hand. I'm like, I couldn't, you know, the mindset obviously, and I, I think every generation does this. They're like, when I was a kid, I think every generation just kind of is what it is. But it's insane to think that. Here we are traveling the world at 18, 19, 20 years old. It's like, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And it's hard to tell somebody that. But now sitting back, I'm 45 years old looking at now. And I'm like, wow, that is the absolute best thing I ever did. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not something that everybody at that season of life is doing. Most get caught up in the book life and the college life or even studying abroad. If you just go to college, most the options are always there at every university. Just nobody takes them. Well, here's a stat you might know. I, I, I'm not sure if you do know, but currently right now in the United States, only 0.4% of our population is active duty military, which is insane. I think it's personally insane. So less than one half percent are active duty military, only 7.3% of the entire nation are veterans. So when you take those numbers and you look at everything that's happening, all the craziness that's happening in this nation, it's really no surprise in my mind. I mean, the common thread there is the lack of military service. I'm a huge fan for mandatory military service. I, it doesn't have to be, here's a rifle, go overseas. It, I, it could be a national service, but I, I believe there's the, the social fabric is missing from our society right now. And I believe the military provides that for people. So it's hard to tell a kid, go do it. But 
you figure the brotherhood we have. And again, not just as Marines. I think we take it yeah. to the nth degree. But any any branch, when you have that military behind you, it's an instantaneous It's that core default everybody. programming on level one of the skyscraper that is your life. There you go. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely correct. Love that. And everybody having the same common first floor makes it easy to build multiple floors that are very stable. I love that. I've never heard it put that way. I, I love that. I'm My brain puts that. random analogies together very quickly. Well, it's, I, it's a curse and a blessing. Use- I will use your brain for the analogies and I'll just, I'll mark them as my own. I like <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> my, my friend a long time ago, uh, put my, he gave me a, a gift calling them colloism. So now anytime I have something that's kind of like my random way to put it, I always call them colloisms. <laughs> That'll work. Hey, I thought I like that. Don't ask me to spell it. But I have no idea. Just it's, it's, I'm trying to think. I think it's just my last name and then ISM on the end, but. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's asking too much for me, man. Don't do that. <laughs> Go ahead and break down what does it mean for you to come home being a single dad with two teen- teenage daughters? What did that look like while trying to create an ambitious life for yourself and to define yourself, but at the same time, knowing that you have two daughters looking for you to provide not just one yeah. role? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's all about putting everything in perspective. And that's this thing now. Like I said, I'm, I'm 45 now, and it's just it's this maturity thing. Like I literally just today had this conversation with my 17-year-old. I'm, I'm trying to get her to understand to put everything in perspective, what's important, what's not important, uh, the mere materialistic things, what you have. So it's, it's all about family for me. And I think that for a lot of people is what, you know, what's missing. I mean, I, I, I blame a lot of what's happening right now on lack of fathers. I just feel like there's a major deficit there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, fathers are unfortunately not part of, not part of kids' lives, which, which is a major problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, it's, it's, about, it's about prioritizing. So I know obviously I have to provide for my children. I have to put food on the table, but um, I, I, I work because I have to, but number one is my family. And I think putting that at the core of everything, like you said, on the first floor, um, putting that in the first floor, that everything else falls into place. If everything revolves around providing for my family, just things work out, you know, and it's not sweating small stuff. We, it's a silly thing to say, but don't sweat the small stuff. But it really is about putting things in perspective, which is easier said than done for a lot of people. When you, when you walked in the door, because I imagine your kids were in school most of the day and then you'd pick them or they'd be home already when you got home? Normally they would, yes. Yep, yeah. Yep. What was your routine like when you walked in the door? It was, I mean, it was no, like anything else. I mean, depending on their age, obviously, very, very early on, it was just totally, you know, it was like I hadn't seen them in 10 years, you know, because they were like, where have you been? It's like the greatest thing ever. Then the <laughs> Every day it was only eight me. hours, but it was like a 10 year right, gap. Yeah, so it was like an indefinite amount of time. But, you know, the older they got, it was like, why are you home? Not literally, but you know what I mean? So it's just kind of yeah. like it, it shifted through, but it, it always was. The emphasis always was, always has been, always will be on them. You know, and it, it's, it's about understanding how they feel, what they're doing, what's going on. It's remaining involved. You know, it's not just being there physically, it's being there mentally as well. And I think that's a big problem and a big misconception. A lot of people, when they parent, they feel that just being there is, is okay, which it takes more than the physical being. There's mm-hmm. also a mental being as well. And I've always harped on that. And it's always been, you know, we're big on eating dinner together, things like that, that, uh, you know, just family time. So for us, that's again, first floor stuff. Yeah. I like you, you hit on there, uh, an idea that it's not about being there mentally that you can't just sit on the couch while they're playing. Like it's part of the mission to bring every dad home with this podcast is both physically and mentally. And the mental part is you need to be able to enter their world. And so many dads through what we went through in our service, whatever flavor of life you entered as your service and whatever you experienced, it's almost become like a barrier between you and your kids. And until you, we can get through that, you really almost, you have this emotional barrier inside your head that prevents you from entering the world. But that's where the magic happens. When you can get down and play Legos with your kids and, or play dress up or have a tea party 
and just forget everything about adulthood and just focus on their imagination like that. There's so much magic happens when you enter their imagination. It is, you know, it's so crazy to say that too, Ben, because I tell like, you know, when I was younger, I remember like when I was first starting to have kids, I can remember a lot of my friends were like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not ready for kids. Like I'm not really ready to do that yet. And my advice always was to them and still is to this day. If you're not a hundred percent ready for that, don't do it. Don't let anybody pressure you into it. Don't let somebody tell you it's getting to be too late, whatever. And, it, and, and at the end of the day, if you don't want to have kids, you're not hundred percent prepared for it. Don't do it because you know, you know, this as well as I do. It's like, I'm a hundred percent from the, you know, I want to have kids 100%. They come along and it's like, oh my goodness, this is the most insane thing I've ever had to do. Like I've been put through some pretty rigorous, you know, mental mm-hmm. situations and all that, but raising a child and having to deal with, you're coming home from a day of whatever you've had to deal with at the office to absolute insanity in every stretch of the imagination. You know, you walk in, it's craziness in the bathtub, there's food on the walls, it's whatever. That does take some sort of, you know, we call it compartmentalization in the world of mental toughness. You have to compartmentalize and understand that what happened before you walked in the door can have no bearing on what's happening right now. And that's, again, that's difficult to do, but it is a, it is a trained thing. I really like that. And it just hits right to the core that is being with your kids of putting those barriers in place, walking in and just being present. And as we lead into the next segment that uh, I always like to remind dads that kids spell love T-I-M-E. What are some of the things that your daughters have loved doing with you over the years? I think for Ed, from any kid's standpoint, I, I've, I've always stated it's just a matter of them knowing that they have your undivided attention. So regardless of what it is, as long as they know that the world is revolving around them, that's, that's everything. So it could literally be playing a game of checkers. It could be painting their nails. It could be running a block, you know, running around the block. It's, it's somebody knowing that their whole world revolves around them. That's the most important thing. So again, it could be anything. And I think that's what it's all about. You know, there's a difference between listening and hearing. You know, as humans, we have this innate need to be heard. We don't always, people don't have to agree with us. They don't have to do whatever, but especially in children, they just have a need to be heard. They want to feel like that's the entire world. And I think from a child standpoint, when from a young age, when they're constantly put in situations where they're number one, that goes a long way for them mentally too, to understand that, hey, I'm important. You know, I, my dad is the most, you know, most amazing person ever. And I'm the most important person in his life. That makes me feel great. I think you hit on their point that I think happens a lot where by not reinforcing our kids priority in our own life, they internalize a subconscious idea that they aren't worthy of someone's time. And that worthiness can carry over into their adulthood of not just having their own self-worth or just low self-worth because their family didn't, or their mom and dad maybe didn't consciously choose them. And now when, as they grow into adult, they don't necessarily do the things they want to because no one made them the priority early in life. You know, it's, it's crazy too, but I, I just saw this, um, I don't know if it was a commercial. It wasn't a commercial. It might've been this like clip and it was basically a mom with her two little kids. And she apparently was a stay at home mom. And in this video, it shows, it starts out in like clip number one, the kids are going nuts. Like they're throwing food, like they drop food all over the place and the mom's losing her mind. She's like, Oh my goodness, what's going on? What did you do? And then they go upstairs and they're trying to play a game and the kids are going nuts and the mom's like scratching her head. She's like, this is crazy. So then the dad comes home at the end of the day and dad's like, so how'd your day? He's talking to the kids. Like, how'd your day go? And the kids are like, it was great. We started out by, we were playing in the kitchen with mom and in their mind, they go back to it in their mind. The mom is all happy and go lucky and they're having fun in the kitchen. So the whole point behind this is 
the way us as parents, the way we see things, we take it as this is the most stressful thing ever, but the way the kids perceive it is this is the most amazing thing ever. So it's really just like a matter of perspective that whatever you would call it commercial really hit home for me. And it, it used a mom as that in that situation, but it doesn't matter. It's just basically no matter what we're going through, it's making them feel like, you know, they're our world. I like that. And any dads listening out there, I want to point in on something that he, he just pointed out was when you're in the heat, because it happens routinely where you can just feel like the world is coming in on you and like everything is flying off the seat of the handles. The this kids are bouncing off the walls. The one thing I'm, I'm positive veteran dads faces and active duty, this idea that there is ability to control it. And it's when we want to try to control it. That's when we ultimately get the most stress and anxiety, but we have to reflect it on the other way around that. Like, this is just the way that their mind works and we just need to be present. And the constant thing that I'm always reminding myself, and it gets me through most of these days is there's going to be a season in my life where this spaghetti on the wall is the only thing I wish to come back. (laughs) <laughs> there's going to be a season in my life where all I want is my son to say, up, say upstairs, daddy, I want one more hug. And as annoying that is, maybe he's interrupting your Netflix, like he routinely does for me at night. There's going to be a day that never comes again. And I always try to reflect on that and just let go of the idea of control and just hang on a little bit. Cause sometimes it is like living in an Instapot and it's just always under pressure, but it's just almost part of the ride. And there's going to be a day where there's going to be nothing we wish more than to have that ride back. And it, again, crazy you say that because like I'm a very emotional. So I train on emotional intelligence, emotional control against psychological performance training. I'm all about control and emotion. So people, when I get hired to go in to talk to these companies, a lot of times like, well, you know, Eric, you must be like a robot, you know, whatever. I'm like, no, I said, actually, I am probably, I'm more emotional than probably 98% of women, you know, like I am, I am full blown emotion. That's me right there. I cry at the end of Elf when the sleigh goes flying over the people. (laughs) That's a bit much. I don't know about that. That's a little bit much. Oh, come on. You're (laughs) going to single me out as the emotionally (laughs) I know. (laughs) Don't say anything about Lion King. I'm not trying to talk about Lion King right now. Okay. So no, but basically like I'm, I'm an extremely emotional, I'm a very, very emotional person from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And you know, from, from me with, with kids, especially, it's just, it's okay to show that it's okay to express that. And when it comes to them and when it comes to, like you said, like getting frustrated or whatever I learned early on, and this, this sounds kind of bad to say, but it's like, it's almost like lowering your expectations. And I use this in business a lot. I have, I have rental properties. I have people that I rent to when I rent to somebody new, I just, and again, it sounds bad to say, but I lower my expectations. I can't assume people are going to function at the same level I'm functioning at. So if I lower the expectation for what I'm going to get, I'm just going to be happy if they exceed that expectation, but I'm not going to be very let down if they, if they don't. Mm-hmm. So you go back to kids being downstairs, going crazy, driving me nuts, doing whatever. I, I do feel like I and sound very old when I say this, but the time truly, really does fly by. And it is insane now to sit back and think, oh my goodness, I would do anything to go back to that time that I took a diaper off and, and you peed all over the floor. Like Those are the things that you just... Until you get out of that phase and get older and it's no longer there, you don't realize how much that means to you. And then you're one of those adults that are warning other young dads that like, make sure you pay attention. Those years go by so fast and then you don't always believe it, but they do. And then you end up being that guy and you sound so old. That's the thing I said, I'm 45 now, right? So I got 17 and 50 year old and I'll, I'll tell like even some people, I know some of my friends and they're like, you sound old. I'm like, I, I said, please. I said, do you respect me? Do you appreciate my opinion? They're like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do. Eric, absolutely. I'm like, okay, Please, I promise you, 
cherish this. Take the most frustrating thing right now in your life. Take the thing that drives you most insane about your children. I promise you, you are going to miss that. There is going to be a day that you miss getting three hours of sleep a night because your child is crying and screaming. You're going to miss it. I, I promise you, like, you're crazy. Write it down. Call me back. I promise you will. And it happens every single time. I'm convinced most adults that end up having to say that and the ones that like uh, really repeat it the most are ones that really just are dealing with their internal guilt, knowing that they weren't there. Like that's just them dressing it up nicely to admit that I wasn't there. And I'm trying to warn you that you need to be. Sure. Yeah. And that's the thing too. You know, it's all the absentee stuff and all that. And again, it's, it's about being there physically as opposed to being there mentally. You can't get the time back. You know, the, the, the meeting that you missed because you went to a kid's sporting event, that meeting means absolutely nothing to anybody two days from now. But your kid, like I have vivid memories. I'm 45. I have vivid memories of my grandfather. My grandparents raised me when I was a child. I have vivid memories from eighth grade playing lacrosse him backing up my goal, going to every single one of my games, even though he wanted me to play baseball, I quit to play lacrosse. He was there for every single game. Vivid. So that's in eighth grade. So these are things that, again, the one meeting, the one appointment you cancel, the one time you don't go to the gym, whatever it is, those, those are things that are going to stick with your children forever. I, you remind me of a story there that I think like two years ago, I reached a point where every day I would leave the office. I was like, oh man, I better text my wife and tell her, ask if I can stay a little bit late today. And eventually I came to the conclusion, I was like, that's BS because I had probably 15 opportunities during the day where if I managed my time better, then this opportunity to ask to stay late would never even exist. And I'm like, who am I to punish my family for my inability to do that every day? And so I eventually created the mindset to just, okay, pull the plug and figure it out the next day. And then every day, just try to re-engineer the wheel a little bit better so that at the end of the day, I wasn't asking that question. And some days I'm not always perfect, but it does uh, get there. And at least at the end of the day, I'm not asking that question, should I stay late? Because I realized, well, I probably shouldn't have talked to that person for an extra 15 minutes because I probably could have got done what I needed to. And mm -hmm. it's really just about owning your own choices and not making others accountable to what you didn't do during the day. Sure. And dressing it up as something that you're just overworked and underpaid. Absolutely right. You know, not, and again, speaking on mental toughness, that's what I hear so much about. You know, it's like, oh, uh, this isn't possible or I can't do this. Like, okay, is that a, is that a truth or a fact? I call them truth or facts. You know, I'm like a, a truth is your perception of something. A fact is a fact. So the, 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 the reason you can't go home, is it truly, is that really fact or is that just your perception of it? So it, it becomes a mind game at that point, but you're absolutely right. And it goes back to prioritizing. That's, that's what it all boils down to. It's what's most important in your life. And again, you have family on the first floor, everything else falls into place 100% of the time. Let's switch gears a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit selfish and ask you a question for my oldest daughter to try to help me parent through it because I think it's right up your alley. So my oldest is seven years old. And if you can time travel back with your daughters when they were seven, <laughs> the emotions are extremely charged. They are highly fluctuation and you can go from zero to 10 over the littlest things. And what advice would you give to me, and I'm sure other dads that have girls that are trying to understand what they're feeling, what advice would you give us to coach our kids through those years when they're trying to understand what these strong emotions they're feeling are? I, I mean, the number one word that comes to my mind is consistency. Um, you know, you have to be extremely consistent. I was always that way with my children, and you have to have an absolutely open mind. And again, going back to my mental toughness, I refer to this as suspending a disbelief. In adult life, when you meet with someone, when you talk with someone, if you have opposing points of view, the only way anything gets done is by suspending a belief that you have to hear what someone else is saying. Easier said than done. It's very difficult for people as adults 
once they have a belief that's been in their mind for the last 20 or 30 years, it's extremely difficult for them to listen to somebody else that has an opposing point of view. When that comes to kids, it is about suspending a belief, whatever it is, then understanding that, okay, this is the first time that this person has had to deal with this, this child. They're clueless. They're, they're not doing something to intentionally upset me. But it, it is about, and especially when it comes to daughters, it is about the emotional connection. I mean, we know this. This is a biological fact. Boys and girls are different. Boys handle things differently than girls handle it. You know, and, and from a mom and dad standpoint, you know, a, a mom might be more nurturing. They might be more exp- you know, explaining things more deep. Whereas from a guy standpoint, here's the way it is. This is the fact. Deal with it. So it's like it's, it's positives and negatives on both sides, but they offset each other. So from a father's standpoint, I think it's about just making certain that you do listen, you do hear, and you do make them know that you, know, you make them feel at least that they're important. And again, that your world revolves around them, which I, from a girl, from a father to daughter standpoint, I think that's the most important thing. That child, that daughter, especially knowing that no matter what, the universe revolves around that. A child needs that growing up, I believe, to, to grow mentally. That the world revolves around them? Absolutely. So Can you unpack that as, a little bit? Yeah, so as a parent, meaning that they, from, from a parent standpoint, like that child needs to know that no matter what, there, there's nothing that's going to stand in the way of their feelings, of whatever they need, of their whatever it is that is most important to them is most important, especially, I believe, from a father's standpoint. And there are lots of studies done on this too. You know, children, girls who grow up without fathers and how they handle things, future relationships. I mean, this isn't surprising to anybody. You know, a, a girl, they say a woman's relationship normally is based off of the relationship they have with their father. Because again, there's differences between men and women and how we handle different situations. Mm-hmm. But from, from a from a girl standpoint, especially, it's having a male in their life that they know will do anything for them at any time with no questions asked. I like that. I really haven't heard it wrapped up there, but it, I've repeated this advice probably at least uh, 25 times out of my 34, 35 episodes in this podcast. That uh, Have you ever read the book Strong Father, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker? I have not. It's filled with horrible statistics, but the most of them are encouraging because they tell us the role we play as fathers. And one of them that you're speaking to is hugging our daughter from all through ages of their life. There is a 60% chance less by the age of 12 that she'll have sex because she wow. was able to feel her father's love. And then she doesn't go out into the world to seek it from the first person willing to give it to her. And I'm convinced like something as simple as just feeling her father's hug that's unconditional is something that is something that almost primal when they go through puberty in that first age they don't go out seeking for it because they already have it their heart filled by their father and then when they when they are ready they already have that blueprint of what that love feel like to go out and try to find it and you're right i know there's been so many studies done on this ben and that that's funny because i I don't think there's anybody that would doubt the fact that uh, a woman the way her relationships are going to be as an adult are, are very strongly linked to a male in their life. And it doesn't have to be the biological father. You know, like I said, me growing up, I grew up with my grandparents. So I still had my bio, I still had my grandfather there to raise me. He was my biological father. It was that male role model. From a girl standpoint, you're absolutely right. And they say a lot of girls who have those strong relationships, they end up looking for the same type of person as their father in the person they want to spend the rest of their life with. So they go searching for that. Now, I've also read sometimes where that can be a bad thing. If, you know, father set the expectations so high that they just have these, I'm going to find this man who's going to hold the door for me, who's going to sit down and play tea with me, all that, whatever. That could be a detrimental thing. But in my mind, I, I personally don't believe there's anything wrong with setting the expectations so high because you don't want them to settle. And then obviously, as a father, the last thing you want is your daughter to be in a bad relationship. 
I, I did agree. read something. It's funny. Sorry, Ben. They actually, I, I, I just today, actually, my, my oldest daughter um, just gave me a statistic I'd never heard before, but she said she read something that uh, I don't know what it, who was or what study it was done, but basically humans need to be hugged at least 16 times per day to have a healthy, a healthy love is what they're saying. So 16 times per day. So get out there and start hugging. I love that. And you've actually given me two things to go off of because the, the first one where you were talking about their daughter, there's one other thing that I've done at night with my daughter that's when she's seven is just sit, sitting down and I, we call it a uh, bird poop talk because there was a book that inspired it that someday a bird will poop on you and you've got to be ready for it and how you respond to it. So we talked about all the people that pooped on her during the day and just letting her express that, but then also reminding her uh, what her opinion of it and for herself and making sure that she recognizes that that's the only opinion that matters. Like that, that external validation of what others think isn't, especially when her brother does something stupid to her, who's five. And I'm like, do you think it was right? What he said? No. Or do you think it was true? No. Okay. Well then your opinion of yourself is the only one that matters because I'm constant. I'm positive that as Instagram and all these different social media platforms grow to externally be validated, reminding my daughter that her opinion is the one that matters most and not seeking that. I'm hoping that along with the blueprint for what I've given her for what uh, a, hus- or a husband can do for a woman is something that will go out into the world. And when you were talking about hugging, it's a funny story. So two years ago, I went to a dad conference. I have never been a hugger my entire life. And this, I've started handshaking and then guys was like, no, we don't handshake. We got to hug. And I'm like, okay, I'll go all in. And by the end of this conference, people were like, man, you give a good hug. And I'm like, I've never been complimented on my hugs my entire life. <laughs> and so now, two years since, almost everywhere I go, there's enough rumors going around that I give good hugs. And so everybody <laughs> that I give a hug to is ultimately just uh, like, they were like, oh, that was a really good hug. And I'll top it off with some with the cherry on top. So you know who John Lee Dumas is? I do not. No, no, he, he hosts Entrepreneur on Fire, really uh, uh, successful podcast. And he is the reason why I'm here today because I listened to an episode of his podcast four years ago with the dad, uh, Larry Hagner, that I followed for three years to get mm-hmm. to this point where I am. Just last week at Podcast Movement, I met him in person. I got a picture with him and I was telling my story. And at the very end, I give him a hug. I don't think I really con- tried, but at the very end, he was like, that was a good hug. And I'm like, funny, you should mention that. <laughs> Oh my, that is hilarious. Dude, I can't help when you're telling that story. All I keep thinking about is Tommy Boy. Did you ever watch Tommy Boy? <laughs> yeah, brothers, brothers don't shake don't hands. Shake they got to hug. hug. Exactly. That's always what's playing in the back of my head. And it's almost like my signature. Like someone's going to remember me like, oh yeah, that was the, that was a good hug. But they and, say you transfer energy too. I mean, I've read about that. You transfer energy when you hug. And sometimes, especially as in the world of men feeling so lonely as they do today, mm-hmm. I've almost like every guy almost needs a good hug, even if they aren't willing to receive it, because I feel like that's, it's like, uh, it's just that one little dent in their armor that says I can feel something. And I actually was in a podcast. He challenged me to come up with a rapper name. And I was like, I really don't have when I listen to country music. And I was just thinking about it. And I was like, okay, I'll go with it. Big hugger B. So I've just completely owned this idea that was nice. inexistent two months, two years ago. And I'm just the guy that gives good hugs. <laughs> You know, and the other thing too, I can't help it. I'm just going off on a tangent here when you're talking like this. I read something not that long ago. There are actually people, I don't know if you want to pursue this as a career, but there are actually <laughs> people, there are people who get paid to snuggle with you in bed. And I know I've, I read this. Is there Did you read that? Yeah, I've read that. Yep. 
Yeah, the prof- like they get paid to like just you're like, okay, here's a hundred bucks, snuggle with me. And it's like, okay, but I, I I believe there's actually like medical data, like statistical data that supports the fact that you do transfer energy. So like when you when you hug somebody, you transfer it. And I would agree with you. And it, it's funny you say that, Ben, because I I joke with my kids because I'm obviously very, very proud of the Marine Corps. I'm very proud of our flag. I'm very proud of any anybody who wore a uniform. I don't care if you're I don't care. Army, it doesn't matter to me if you're Coast Guard, if you're active duty, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Very, very proud of that. So anytime I see anybody wearing anything military, veteran related, I go out of my way. You know, what's up, brother? What are you doing? Whatever. Especially when I see Marines, you know, it, it normally is a full blown hug. You know what I mean? Like nobody's ever told me I'm a good hugger. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have to work on that. But it's full blown. You know, naturally. You got to level it, up. It, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. You know, I was a professional smuggler in bed, you know, from my prior life, but now I'm just uh, downgraded. But it, it, it goes back to that. And I think that's what so many veterans like need to understand and so many and i i believe the majority of people do but the camaraderie i mean that is just so there are so many people that would do anything to help somebody else you know and that's the thing especially in the marine corps it's that common thread it doesn't matter where you came from it doesn't matter what color you are it, none of that matters all that matters is we've all been to the same thing we've all worn that flag on our uniform there's people out there that want to help that do help so the the, the camaraderie piece of it for me is huge I just love the idea of thinking that there's so many people that have done the same thing I've done. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of us here anymore, but um, there's, there's still plenty of people that have done very good for their country. And even though those percentages you gave out are extremely small, it's the universe continued. And it just did it last week, multiple times when I was in podcast movement of how small it still can be. Even the Marine Corps, you could, it's a hundred thousand active duty and you could still run into someone from boot camp walking through the PX. It's, it's, isn't that crazy how that works? Like I literally yeah. was overseas in Okinawa, Japan, and I saw a kid I went to high school with. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what yeah. are you doing here? I'm like, are you serious? I had no idea. And you think about a serendipity for the universe to put that together and in 7 billion people somehow it was able to pull that off. And that's, it's, you, you can't think big. You really have to think really small. And I was watching uh, a video at the podcast movement last week and it really, a, a colloism popped in my head. It's not an analogy, but it was just a brilliantly way to say this, that I think ultimately in 2019, people put way too much faith in the internet to solve our problems. It's just a tool. And it hit me that I was like, the hope of humanity doesn't lie in the internet. It actually lies in human connection. Like when you create those human connections of conversation, hugging, just feeling loved by someone, that's really when you can start to move something real and, and make those steps into that life that you really want versus the one that you're living today. And that's a big issue with kids now. You know what I mean? It, it, it's all about social media. It's not about social interaction. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a problem. That's an issue. You know, that's a, you start looking, I start looking for common threads, you know, the issues we're having right now. Why are we having these issues? The very first thing I do is I look at where we are now and I look at where we were 20, 30, 40 years ago. What is here now that wasn't there? What was there then that's not here now? You get into social media. Again, I understand it's great. It's wonderful. It's good. But from a kid's standpoint, they're not taught these basic skills. And you, you talk about the, the hugging. You know, We can joke about that. But that's truly that's relationship building. That's, that's understanding to communicate. That's understanding how to be aware of other people's emotions. It's understanding how to regulate your own emotions, how to empathize with other people. These are, these are huge, huge things that dictate who you become later on in life, how you handle every single relationship. Kids are missing out on that, especially when it comes to social media. That's, that's, a, that's a major problem for kids. That human connection of just the abundant love that you feel from someone, another human being through a conversation, or just when you connect with a story, when someone tells a story, or I'm sure you've done it when you're public speaking, you, you share a story that's plain and simple for you, but for someone in that audience, you just moved a mountain. And that, that moment, that's, that's magical. And that's, 
I'm, 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 I'm faithful and hopeful that the universe always calibrates our society. And I often look back to the sixties as proof that if we can get past the sixties and come back to some center and we can get past whatever we have today and everything always course corrects and calibrates, but it's, and we already have the blueprint. We really just need to almost wake up and look at the different things, what we're losing. And I heard in a description of what the, everybody thinks the Amish is backwards, but if anything, they just consider themselves very delayed. And they look at everything we adopt through the lens of, did it make us better or, or worse? And only does it make, when it makes us better, do they end up looking at adopting it? And hmm. there's a lot of wisdom to that of not being at the tip of the sword, but being in the back and making sure you actually consciously bring into your life what you want versus the next hot thing that you want from your life. That's a good point. No, I never heard that. I never heard about the Amish. I, I, I tell you, actually, I, I buy a lot of Amish stuff. I mean, they, they build legit stuff. It's like, I, I feel like they don't cut corners. You know, it's, it's funny, but uh, yeah. So they, they also have something going. I've never heard that before. I like that though. That and the Chloeisms, I like that. I'm going to have to take out those. <laughs> I can spit them out all day, but it's a curse and a blessing because my brain actually never turns off and it's just always randomly uh, putting, putting things together. And it was, a couple of people came up to me last week and was telling me like, if you just did half the stuff, like you put, like took action on half the stuff versus thinking, you'd be light years. I'm like, yeah, I'm just an overthinker. So it, you're like, you wish you had more time. You're too busy out running around hugging everybody or else you would, you would put that in action. <laughs> exactly. Or I'm just too constantly worried about, am I hugging enough? Am I hugging too much? What does it actually mean when I hug someone? Is that wrong? Was my, was my hug sufficient? I feel like I'm insufficient in my hugging. Yeah. Did, did I let him down? <laughs> Was this good for you as it was for me? Exactly. And, and repeat huggers where I've already hugged them. They already have this mental, there's a few people that are like, they're like, damn, you're going to break a rib. <laughs> break a rib. Especially some, I know a couple of friends that work on the gym. So I'm almost like, uh, I go overboard just because I know that they, uh, they can take it and uh, makes them feel good as well. It's like a handshake. You know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, hey, you think about that. Like, there's actually etiquette classes on these things, like the correct handshake. And the correct handshake, obviously, is you're supposed to, like, replicate. You know, you're not supposed to squeeze harder than the other person. But we've all had those people we've met. I know some people I, I've worked with. And it's like, you know, they're, they're 100 pounds soaking wet. They're a, not a large person, but you shake their hand. And they just, they have veins popping out of their head when they're shaking your hand, like, trying to make this statement. It's like, Back down, buddy. It's okay. So it's kind of like, you know, it just, you think about the head. So getting beer muscles, you know what I mean? Like, I am lying. Hear me roar. I always love a good handshake. And I had a couple of good ones last week at the conference. And uh, I was, I'm always the complimenter on that. And I was like, that was a great handshake. (laughs) (laughs) And they're always like, like, thanks. I was trying. I give compliments (laughs) where compliments are due. I have no shame in my game. Yeah. And, and, And also, some, I think it just, people maybe that didn't give me a good handshake, it levels up and be like, I think I could have done better because the handshake really is it is simple as it is. There is a whole big first impression that's made with that handshake and who that person is behind the skin that they wear. And you know what? It's funny, Ben, because that, that leads into kind of something else to go back to what we talked about, like the father daughter relationship. And that, that brings something up to me. And that is, that is complimenting. I think that's a very big part of it. And, and, and picking up on things and understanding things that from a male standpoint might be hard for us to understand why something would be important. But from a girl standpoint, it, it's, it's critically important, whether it be noticing when, when she does something different with her hair or whether it's her doing really well at something and complimenting on that. So yeah, it, it leads, we're talking about hugging and snuggling and hand, shaking hands, but it, it goes back to the whole father-daughter thing. That is, I believe, and not that a boy doesn't need that, but mm-hmm. from a girl standpoint especially, knowing that all attention, and, and my father, this male in my life, just noticed something changed about me, and he complimented me on how 
pretty I am when I wear this dress or how pretty my eyes are when they're outside in the sunlight or whatever. That goes a long way to building confidence, especially in a girl. And every day, I mean, it, she's only in first grade starting this year and every day, it, the, the years are getting earlier, the teenage years, and she's seven going on 16. And mm-hmm. the, the amount of drama they already have in first grade of comparison and kids and just trying to keep up with the Kardashians of who's got the coolest stuff at Target that week and who's got the um, JoJo stuff. I don't know if you, you're probably too late in the years, but there's this JoJo uh, girl that uh, does all these videos and has all these bows and it's just, you can't keep up with it, but that's what they're always comparing. And I, you mentioned sons. There's something that I, I've always noticed with my son as I've tuned more into this when I'm reading a book with him at night in his bed, I've switched to doing it one-on-one and I can feel him get close and like under my arm. And like, there's that connection of energy where he needs to feel that, that safe feeling. I think as men, there's a lot of what we desire more is to feel safe and acknowledged and loved and appreciated and mm-hmm. just feel that proud feeling from your father and that energy that you share just through a simple hug can be so impactful for what confidence they have to go out in the world. Because if they don't feel like they can do what they need to, they're just going to be the, the kid that rebounds back in your basement because they failed to start life because they didn't have the confidence to go out there. Yeah. And I mean, as, as males, we have a huge responsibility. I mean, not that it's any, you know, obviously women do as well, but as, as males, we have a huge responsibility. I mean, a, a lot, a lot of our kids, later in life development relies on us. It really does. I mean, you know, you, you look at stats on anything when it comes to divorce, when it comes to single family, uh, single parent households, it's 90, 95% of the time, a, a mom doesn't leave their child. It's, it's a father who does. And when a boy doesn't grow up with that male interaction, it can be, it can be detrimental. And it, it, again, you see it in the problems we're having in the nation right now. That's a big problem. Or if it's and, replaced you know, with just bad male interaction, a lot of times where I've heard a lot of the moms and and the sons go up through like three or four boyfriends and two husbands more. And it's just this cycle of failure. It is. And that, that you're absolutely right. So then it boils down to, okay, is it, what's better to have? Is it better to be totally fatherless or with father who is not confident at being a father? That's, that's a difficult call. You know I mean? Which, which one's worse off? I don't know. There's been studies done on that. Um, my, my guess would be at that point, they probably are better off fatherless just because the whole same sex thing, you know, and that's from a father standpoint, we, we bear a big burden. I mean, that, that's a, that's a lot that's on our shoulders. And unfortunately I believe right now, a lot of fathers aren't holding their weight. And that's, that's an issue. I agree. Let's switch gears here real quick. If there is a dad out there listening that is emotionally trapped in their own soup of emotions from service while they're serving, or maybe they're on the other side what advice would you give them to to unpack what they're feeling and unable to process? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, especially from a veteran standpoint, because we know serving. Uh, I mean, fortunately, I was not in combat, uh, so I, I can't talk to someone who was suffering from a PTSD type thing. Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't even begin to imagine what they went through. Um, from just being a strictly from a, from a veteran standpoint, though, it, it is expressing the emotion. And that's one of the main problems I think with, with any issue, it's, it's the inability to express an emotion. And I think from a lot of, from a lot of veteran standpoint, a lot of people feel like they're alone, um, which, you know, that, that can definitely be a byproduct of going through depression. You do feel like you're alone, but especially when it comes to veterans, there's a, a, a ton, ton, ton of support for veterans. I mean, again, these are all people that are probably going through the same exact thing that, that they're going through. It's just, 
you're, you're working in this echo chamber of feeling like you're all alone. So it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. The PTSD, I know, I, I know people have been through it again. I, I can't personally speak to that cause I never have, but I would say the one bit of advice would be that they, they are not alone and expressing emotion can be a good thing. And it's just finding somebody that would obviously listen. So it's, it's more about really identifying what you're feeling, really just picking any of the emotions and then trying to start put words to that to someone. Yeah, it's called metacognition. I mean, the official term of this is called metacognition. Uh, so metacognition, it sounds a little bit deep, a little hairy-fairy, like unicorns and Skittles and stuff. But uh, <laughs> it's, it does, and it sounds a little hairy-fairy. But it's basically thinking about what you think about. So it, it's taking a thought that you have and analyzing that thought and saying, okay, this is how I feel about whatever it is. And then you step outside and you say, okay, why am I thinking this way? So metacognition is when you analyze these thoughts and try to like almost like an outer body type thing. Like, why do I feel this? How do I correct it? Is it right? Is it wrong? It's, it's a way to analyze thought, which is not easy to do because we're obviously very biased. We see things through our own mm -hmm. lens. So our thoughts are very difficult to analyze. But the, the official terms of metacognition have no idea how to spell it, but I can tell you what it is. I've heard the term, but I haven't really connected <laughs> it to what you just described it, but I like that. And I've realized I've been doing it a lot. And there was a Tony Robbins podcast that I was listening to, and he gave me a, a super weapon to tie this to that I think maybe breaks it down in easier actionable steps is try to tie it to what story you've been telling yourself that's related to that feeling. And for me, I realized when I was starting to do this, that there was a story inside my head that I'd never really realized or consciously noticed was on repeat. And that I was just a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin that was never going to be anything. Mm -hmm. And then everything in my life was always limited by that story and narrative that I never really dealt with, but it was creating feelings of unfulfillment and never be being accepted and not being appreciated. And it was because I was trying to do something, but I had this subconscious story that was on loop and they were in conflict that I couldn't feel confident or happy about what I had just accomplished, even though other people would be like, Oh Ben, that's amazing. And I'm like, doesn't really feel amazing. Well, it was because I was invalidating it every time because of that crap story that I was telling myself in my head. There's this, there's this old quote. Uh, it's, it's, I don't even know where it actually came from. I use this quite often. It's a little bit cheesy, but basically it states, what the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. And I think it's kind of along those lines to almost kind of like, whatever you plant in your mind, you have front of mind, back of mind. So your, your subconscious mind doesn't know past tense, present tense. Have you done it? Haven't you done it? In mental toughness training, we call this creating a vision. And then once you create this vision, you look at, okay, are your current actions, are your current steps congruent with this vision? So it's developing a vision that has a very strong why. And I would say, going back to thinking about your thoughts, it's understanding what's most important in your life. What's your why? when everything revolves around your why and working towards that why, everything falls into place. So if your why is providing for your children, feeding your kids, sending them to college, doing whatever, when you develop that why so strong, nothing's going to stop you from getting to it because your subconscious mind is going to say, this is what I'm here for. This is what I fight for. This is why I wake up every day. It's developing a vision, which a lot of people don't, don't even have a written vision, which I obviously would very strongly recommend if they don't. I like, and I can attest to this, that trying to do this podcast and I've been to two physical conferences now in person. And the last one was last year. And this one was just last week. And part of something, so I've had the vision, 
but there was, I think is because the, the story was so strong that the subconscious mind wouldn't believe that it was capable of being created. And when I was able to find places or in this proven anytime I have found a place where this vision can kind of, I can touch it and see it and feel it and be validated in it. The subconscious mind, like I can feel a different energy coming back from that conference because I immersed myself in my vision physically with people that reinforce that I'm a human being worth continuing to say something. And until you find ways to validate what your vision is in the, in the almost a physical presence, it still will always remain something that your mind may be not always capable of achieving. But the moment you start to touch it and to feel that it's real, your subconscious mind, it's almost uh, the secret movie where you, whatever you start thinking about will start materializing. I think there's a missing component of that is getting out there and, and touching some small component of your vision because then your mind will conceptually start creating it faster. It's really funny to bring up the secret because my, my, my programs, my mental toughness programs, I do, I bring that up. And I, I tell the story about creating a strong vision. I use uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Jenner, I, I guess, if we can still call him Bruce or whatever he prefers to be called, whatever. With, with Bruce Jenner, though, he goes back to when he won the gold medal, if you remember, um, in the Olympics when he won the gold medal. And after he won, he ran around the Coliseum carrying the American flag. I don't know if you remember that. So basically after that, they wrote books about him. They did interviews with him. And I read something about someone who interviewed him. And they basically asked him like, hey, Bruce, you know, when you won that, when you won the gold medal, you picked up that flag, you ran around the whole Coliseum. Like, how'd you prepare for that? When you were going there to compete, knowing that you had all these great competitors, great athletes, how'd you prepare? And he said, I had this vision I saw in my mind, and this gives me chills because this is how crazy a strong vision is. He said, I saw in my mind years before I stepped into that Coliseum, years before I even competed, I envisioned myself running around that Coliseum carrying that flag. He said, I saw it so vividly. I saw it every minute of every day. I saw it so vividly. I would get to the point sometimes I had to question myself as to whether I had already won the race, I'd already won the gold medal. That's how clear I saw the vision. So think about that. If you have something so clear in your mind that you can think that you've already done it, is there any way you're not... They call it reticular activator, right? It's like, hey, mm -hmm. Ben, have you ever seen a red Escalade and say, nope, never in my life. So the minute I put that into your mind, it finds a way. Now, all of a sudden, you walk out front, you saw seven red Escalades. It's called reticular activator. So when it goes to the vision, if you have a vision so strong that you can see it, you can feel it, you can breathe it, your subconscious mind doesn't understand. It's going to find a way to make that happen. But no vision, you have nothing you're fighting for, nothing you're going after. That's what makes it difficult. So you bring up the secret. I talk about that quite often because it is a step further than just find a parking spot, find a parking spot. Ooh, there's a parking spot. You have to do something to work towards it, but the creating yep. a vision is the first piece. And for me, I've, I had this inspired from the, the greatest showman was a very powerful movie that I cried through almost 90% of it because it was, mm -hmm. I almost saw it as like the entrepreneur's journey type movie. And mm -hmm. in it, when he talks about a future that I only see when I close my eyes, like there was a world that no one could understand. And I've described a lot of my vision. I, I use a lot of this wording in my post when I describe it, uh, that there's a world when I close my eyes, I see a room of a thousand people. And so for me, I joined Toastmasters to try to touch that world two times a month. When I was traveling to podcast movement, I could see a version of me being on stage in some future about podcast movement. And I'm like, I described it as I know where I'm headed. I'm heading to Orlando, Florida, but the actual destination is the vision only what I can see when I close my eyes and just being able to physically touch that energy and to feel it from people that were living it like that just, especially for me, I've always had this limiting belief of myself and it helped me run towards 
the idea faster. And I'm even more confident to, to conquer the world now because I can just feel it inside. And I'm sure you've heard the quote, you're the average of the five closest people in your life. Mm-hmm. I went to a conference a while back and it was, uh, I realized that there's another version of that quote, that you're the average of the five closest energies. And mm-hmm. it's so important to surround yourself with those high intensity energies that help carry you to the future. And at a conference that's super niched in your area, you can't help but being surrounded by a thousand people that wake up every day and love what you do to be excited about it. And that's so important to move our life forward sometimes. Yeah. Birds of feather flock together, right? I mean, that, that's the key. When it comes to developing a vision, you know, after the, the vision is developed, it does boil down to a mindset. And then we, we, we call this congruency, you know, so you, are your current actions, beliefs, and behaviors congruent with the size and scope of your vision? So you have this vision out there. What are you doing to get closer to this, to achieving this vision? Again, congruency. Are you doing what you have to do to get there? If you're not, you have two options. You can either decrease your vision or you can increase your thoughts, actions, and behaviors. You have, you, you have the option to do that. And it does boil down to how you think. And when I train these sales teams, that you know, that's a, I'll get the question all the time. They're like, well, Eric, what separates the 95% from the top 5%? Like, What separates the most successful people in any company? It's irrelevant what industry. It could be real estate. It could be financial planning. It could be accounting. It could be headhunting. It could be any, anything sales-related or just life one-on-one. What separates the top 5% from the other 95%? I get the question all the time. And I'll say, well, you're not going to like my answer. And like, well, what, why are I not going to like your answer? I say, because it's it, very, very simple. You're not going to like it. They say, okay, what's the difference? The difference is how they think. And they're like, well, that's not right. I said, that's, that is absolutely, I've interviewed the top people in companies. I've interviewed the bottom people in the companies, the middle people in the companies. The people at the top believe they can. The people in the middle, the other 95% don't believe they can. That is what truly separates people is how they think. That is the number one thing. That's the main thing. If you don't think you can, you're not going to. Yeah, that, that, I'm sure they don't like hearing that because it's the stuff between the two ears that they can't control. That's a, 100% accurate. It's your actions and your behaviors that are dictating where you are. We call that objective reality. Objective reality states you have nobody else to point to other than yourself, and people don't like to look in the mirror, unfortunately. I absolutely love that. It wraps it up into a nice little uh, gift box with a bow on it. It's not normal with a bow, though. They're normally yelling and screaming. <laughs> tell me, I'm a, I call it getting drunk and emotion. Well, on a podcast, it's just me and you. So anybody else out there, they get upset. <laughs> to me, it's a bow. Someone else can say it's a, a turd in a bag on someone's doorstep, but it's the truth. Like you said, is it a truth or a fact? It's that. Yeah, it's, it's a fact. That's not someone's truth. That's absolutely right. Is that, you know, is this, is it, are you saying something's impossible or is it just not possible for you? And again, when, when you're called out like that, when you have to accept, 100% responsibility, which is really what mental toughness is all about. You are yeah. 100% responsible for your results. Like them, love them, hate them. You are where you are because you put yourself there, which is based on how you think. Correct. And the stories that you told yourself to get there. Yes. As we wrap up this interview, Eric, what's a parting piece of advice you want to leave for military veteran dads out there? If you could gift wrap your 17 years of fatherhood for two, two, two teenage daughters, what would you give them? I, you know, I think it goes back to the beginning, Ben, what we talked about as far as time, um, as far as time flying by. I mean, that, that is something we cannot get back, obviously. And that is something that, you know, again, it, it's you hear it time and time and time again. Time flew by. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. It, it's being involved. And again, you know, taking this from a, from a, from a male standpoint, from a father standpoint, I, I just really, really think that we have this huge obligation to raise our kids, boy, girl, doesn't matter 
um, stepchild, biological child, doesn't matter. As males, we have to step up to the plate and understand that we are directly responsible for how our children turn out. And without us being involved with them, unfortunately, we're going to set our kids up for failure in the future. So it's, it's being involved. I would say it's definitely being involved and understanding that we only have limited time. Once it's gone, it's over. You don't get two chances to, to raise your kids, unfortunately. And any dads out there listening, I want to reflect back. If you've been listening to this episode, I want to point out what he just said, that the role that we play as fathers in our kids' life is what is the first draft of our legacy that will continue on beyond generations. We've talked about on the podcast, if you listen to it multiple times, that legacy is the best chance we have to leave something on this earth. And our kids are that legacy. Our service is not our legacy. It's all fact. It's not even a fact or truth. It's all fact. It's already happened. There's not a single thing you can do about it. And your kids are where your focus is. And we as military veteran dads are the most influenced, experienced, and just abundantly overqualified to raise kids because of the amount of life we've experienced. We've done melting pots. We've seen things that no one else wants to see. And we can walk our kids through an amazing life. And that just sums up what you just talked there that we didn't get a chance to dive into it much, but we talked so much about legacy and, and that time and priority is what it required to make it happen. Yeah, you said that perfectly, Ben. The fact that we are just so capable of it, I think that would be qualified. You know, again, you, you hit the nail on the head with that as far as life experiences, what we've learned as far as working with other people, what we've learned as far as working towards a goal. That you're absolutely right. We are more capable than anybody else out there as far as giving our advice, giving our guidance to these children. And then, and then the other thing I would add to that would be, you know, the, these kids, our world, their world we're everything to them. You know, so even at times, I think every parent goes to this where they feel like they're doing something incorrectly. They're not worried. They're not doing well at the office or they didn't get the promotion. And they feel like they feel like they're let down and they're deflated that to that child, you're their universe. You know what you I mean? You never so stop the, being their hero. Not, not, it never, ever ends. So even though you might feel like a total failure to your child, you're, you're Superman. So that needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be understood. Again, we, we have this huge, huge job. And even those things might not sound great and wonderful and our, our regular business life might, might not be wonderful. To, again, to our children, we're superheroes. And all we got to do is come home to feel that. Yes, sir. I love that. Part of our mission. And it's always there. And all we simply have to do is walk through the door to, to feel that love that is, will always be abundantly there in our life. Love it, Ben. This is awesome, man. I like your killoism still. <laughs> well, Eric, I am so glad that we took a little bit of time to get together, but I am, po- I am super happy that I put, continued to push the envelope to try to make sure we could get a time schedule because I am positive we smacked a few dents in the universe today and brought a few dads home today. I love, I love smacking dents, man. We're on the same page here. Semper Fi, brother. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show, and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home. <laughs>